Hi, and welcome to Beyond All My Expectations. Today we have Imril Morgan, who's CEO and founder of Contactus Queen. Hi, Imril. Hi, Nikki. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am well. I am enjoying the closer we get to freedom, just feeling like the anticipation of freedom and joy. So. Okay, I feel like we're having very opposite feelings. I feel like very, I have trepidation around this. Okay, because I, I say to everyone, I'm in a little bubble in like Hertfordshire. So mm. it's been so quiet. <laughs> That's, I have this fear of what's going to be like going back into public, like where there's so many more people. So I'm a bit like, mm, I don't know that I'm that excited. I know what you mean. As an introvert, I definitely feel that trepidation as well. But I think I've genuinely been in my house for too damn long. Like, <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready to just be free. Maybe less, not around the people, just the ability to navigate freely without consequences is what excites me. Okay, yeah, that, but unfortunately that, not unfortunately, but you know, that comes with people. <laughs> I'm not saying people are bad, I'm just saying, yeah. So interesting, you know, point. So I, Imran and I just came from another podcast. I was just on her audio book club pod- podcast, which is fantastic. So we're sort of doing a double whammy today and just catching up an aggressive amount. So I'm really excited for this conversation. And I'm going to have Imril introduce herself as we do on the podcast because it's very important for people to talk about themselves and I always love to hear how people talk about themselves and this is even particularly amazing for me because I've known and watched Imril grow her business for a few years and I've watched her so I'm just interested to see how she positions herself today from where I've known her in the past so over to you Imril so introduce yourself to the audience today. Hi, I'm Imriel Morgan. As Nikki said, I am the founder and CEO of Content is Queen, which is a podcast agency and club for ambitious podcasters, largely from underrepresented backgrounds. So there are three parts to my business and what I do. I'm a podcast marketing expert and consultant, and we also manage productions for brands and individuals. And we also have a community and club element to what we do, which is to support podcasters who really have like very little to no experience in the industry and they want to become professionals they want to develop a a show that I guess highlights their skill their business their talent and we basically nurture them and help them grow through resources access to people access to promotional opportunities or just access to the team who can then help elevate and take their podcast to the next level. I don't know if anyone else just felt like, oh my God, this one person, this, what I mean with a team, obviously, is doing all these many things and in the podcasting space. And I think it's really interesting to see how much groundwork, but also, you know, how much effort you put into the podcasting industry, because, you know, a few years ago, you know, it wasn't what it was today. I mean, the revenue understandings wasn't there, but you've been a long-term player in this, in this field. So what was it that drew you to the podcasting industry and why have you stayed Oh, that is such a good question. <laughs> um, especially that second part. Why have I stayed? So what drew me in was I used to run a podcast network called the Shout Out Network. I was the CEO of that that network and we produced something like nine to 10 different shows whilst I was there. And all of the whole thing was that we were the home of underrepresented voices. Like we were really dedicated to changing UK media in particular. And we thought the best way to do that was to provide people with the space and the resources to tell their stories. And that's always really spoken to me. I've always been a huge, huge, huge advocate of storytelling. It's part of my work. My background is in content marketing. So telling stories is just what I think is the number one way to build empathy. And empathy leads to compassion. It leads to kindness. It leads it leads to a better society overall. So I think when people are, when you give people the tools to tell their stories, then the world changes. Someone's world will change. And that 
can happen at an individual level and build out to a collective, a societal and eventually global. So that's what really attracted me to podcasts because my world changed when I was first introduced to, funnily enough, it was cereal. I, I was introduced by a cereal. I, I love cereal. Oh. So good. It's, so and this is the original first season of Serial, not the ones that have come after, which I haven't listened to. But the first one, which, you know, completely introduced me to audio, introduced a lot of people to audio and podcasting and didn't realize like the power and the intimacy that you could have in that space. I then went on to This American Life and found myself crying on a train, like leaving work and listening to the story of, you know, this inner city schools in Chicago, I think. Yeah. Um, the harrowing lives that these children were living outside of the school and then also inside the school and I was just like I am crying because of a story I'm hearing on my headphones like what life is this and so then I really came to understand actually podcasting is has more power than we think like there is something that where where the visual is removed you are only having to connect with a voice and if you can connect with a voice you can connect with a story your mind changes something in you changes like you are not the same person that you were 10 minutes, 15 minutes, an hour before you listen to that show. And then The Read came along and The Read is hosted by Crystal and Kid Fury, one of the biggest, arguably one of the biggest black podcasts at that time. This was 2015 when I entered. Yeah. Huge, huge, huge show. And I was like, these two are like, these are two queer hosts being like bold and courageous and just saying oh, everything. Yeah. They want to say. And, and they're themselves. Like, yeah, like unapologetically black queer everything in between love pop culture didn't care about your opinions didn't care about your like respectability politics game changer I was like I want the freedom that they have and podcasting for me was a vehicle to do that with melanin millennials I always intended to leave like my plan was with that podcast was to start a podcast show what we were trying to do as a network and then take a step back and let the other shows and the people that saw us do it and believe that they could do it too come and come to the fore and let them take over and I step back yeah. and that didn't quite happen like people kept wanting content from us and wanting to hear these opinions and so that's really why I stayed is that I I had just developed an audience of people that really appreciated the content and so I felt a duty and a responsibility to continue and it's not in like a bad way like I I also enjoyed the process and until I didn't I changed the podcast so yeah, um, yeah the reason I've stayed so I started in 2015 I've it's 2021 and six years later I've now I'm in a different company I'm in content is queen now and I think I've just never stopped believing in the power of audio as a vehicle for change and I still believe that audio and voice is a vehicle for change in society so that's why I'm still here it's a very interesting answer I was like oh yes that happened and that happened and again I say I've been you know on the periphery watching it sounds very stalkery <laughs> but seeing that <laughs> development of um, you know Emerald's approach the podcasting industry because you know for myself podcasting was a very American it was not it was like, it was a very American thing but you know finding material that I related to finding material that I was interested in came from the Americas you know the Americas sounds very colonial it came from America <laughs> went back to the 18th century for a second there <laughs> it came from America so you talk about you know things like the read friend zone serial this American life um I was, you know, eating all this stuff up, but, you know, there was that missing link in the UK where I was like, you know, I want to hear someone, you know, one, the accent match that looks like me, that has, you know, the, you know, also the experience of what it is to be, you know, 
black in the UK, but you know, with the migrant back. So you, there are different layers and different ways we tell stories. I think this was missing. And so when, you know, Shout Out Network emerged, I was like, oh my God, it's fantastic. And seeing it emerge, not solely as, you know, a singular podcast, but as an entity, a company, added a layer for me because like this idea of ownership of how do you also own the space in which you exist because you can have your show but exist within you know wider networks but you stepped in and said I'm creating this network so why did you attach you know melanin millennials to a network what was what was the thought process behind this or what was the rationale rather I'd say it was never not going to be a part of the network because I came into podcasts with my former co-founder wanting to start a network and so I had gone through the motions with him in 2014, let's say, of trying to approach people to start a podcast, to approach comedians and actors and kind of these people that were emerging on Instagram doing comedy and sketches. So I'd gone through the motions of trying to find people with him who would jumpstart this network for us. And it got to a point where people would say, oh, yeah, that sounds like a cool idea. Yeah, we'll do it. And they will be really (laughs) wishy-washy because they didn't understand. Like, it's not their fault. There was no understanding of what a podcast was. It hadn't touched the UK, at least hadn't touched Black Britain in the UK until we basically really said, here it is. I mean, there was Chucky online, but he was also doing YouTube videos at the same time. So it, it was very different to be like, we're not doing YouTube, we're doing audio only. And that's what this is. It's an audio show and it's not radio, it's different. And people just could not, at that time, wrap their head around that this different yeah. distinction. So it came to me to say like, actually, uh, why don't I do a show? And I asked a friend to do that. And that was my co-host, former co-host Satya. I asked her to do the show with me. And so we loosely talked about this is going to be a part of the network. We didn't know what making a network meant. It was very much like, we're going to try and pull together some shows. And we hope, and they're all going to be hosted by one body. Yeah. Yeah, And we're going to just make sure that we're all kind of promoting each other. And as a content marketer and, and as a marketer, and that was really my purpose within the company to begin with was like how do all of these things feel cohesive how do they all make sense together how do we what is the story we're telling around being together and so like quite quickly after melanin millennials launch mostly lit came about after mostly lit was artistic state of mind no two fools talking then artistic state of mind then unarchived and then all of these things kind of like started to feed into each other where people were making pictures to us and we're like this sounds cool we haven't heard this before in the UK and at that time I think we had spoken to Acast and Acast were like there are five black British podcasts and this was maybe three or four months after we had started Melanin Millennials or like there are five of you <laughs> so about six months into the Shout Out Network releasing like basically we were releasing a show a month from like April or something by then maybe six months in we were seeing like 30 shows and 40 shows. So I think when people say seeing is believing, it sounds really easy to dismiss that as just like, oh, that's just a phrase people say. But like, no, seriously, seeing is believing because people then heard it and was like, I can do that too. And and it was a beautiful thing because by the following year, it was 60 Black British podcasts. And now we're, like I was doing like posts for Instagram just last year during the BLM uprising. And I was just like, there are there's so many now like I don't know how we're going to list all of these people like there are so many doing podcasts and it's a phenomenal thing still not enough compared to our counterparts but you know there's I mean in five years yeah there's just been such a massive um uptake when I 
look on my you know audio platforms and my I'm just like this I'm like I don't even know what to listen to what do I feel like the option is and that's great I think I want to go back to you know this creating a network you know space because I probably didn't phrase my my first question right it's you decided to come to the podcasting industry where you came at it not just from a a production perspective but from a a very business-led perspective I know you know part of that was to do with your former co-founder but what was it to approach and say we were actually I want to cement this as a business not just you know produce something because I think a lot of people understood podcasting as this something I'm going to do for free and it's fun and it's chill but you said you know you stepped into it you know with a business mind on and what was that like and why did you, you know, throw yourself into that approach so wholeheartedly? You know, that is such an interesting question. and I'm not sure I've ever thought about an alternative way of going about it because the mm. idea of producing a podcast is foreign. That's new. <laughs> like the idea that you would just go out and make one is actually a ve- is like a very new concept. And I'd say like only in the last two or three years with some like would people say I'm going to make a podcast and actually oh. go out and take the steps to produce a podcast. Obviously, there are production companies, but the idea of that there are production companies didn't like the notion or the idea that that was a thing we didn't see ourselves as a production company that like there what what is the business of podcasts we were literally in the dark fumbling around figuring things out so I think I, I don't know that I ever had the idea that that like an idea that it was going to be like a solo pursuit or an independent pursuit or like a, a production in that sense I always saw it as we we want to create something in this world that matters to us sure that is like there is like an intention for that to exist but that I I never thought for one moment that that could exist without infrastructure or I don't know if I necessarily saw it as a business at that time either like it was still very new but yeah I just couldn't I, I couldn't envisage it without an infrastructure or like a wider team or thing in place and what that was called whether that was an if people want to call it a network people want to call it a production company I'd call it what you want I just did not know how you would go about creating without that obviously today it's very different you can just pick up your phone and make a whole podcast but yeah I don't yeah I think it's quite hard to answer your question because I don't know that I was cog yeah I don't know if I cognitively it was always there and I also would add that when I was studying in 2014-2015 we were looking at the Americans. So the, like I said, the read was part of the loudspeaker network. Yeah. We knew shows because they were part of a network and that network had like the brilliant idiots and eventually the friend zone. BuzzFeed started and BuzzFeed had another round and they released a few other shows as well. So BuzzFeed were operating as if they were a network of shows. WNYC operates as a network of shows. NPR, network of shows. So, and again, Radiotopia. So like when you look at the Americans, it's very at least the popular shows at that time weren't an island. They were always part of something bigger. It's not yeah. everyone, but the ones at least that managed to get to my on my attention, my radar, they were part of something bigger. So the idea that you weren't part of something bigger, like I remember being very con- conscious that when we started Melanin Millennials, we need to have something else here. Otherwise it's not a thing. Yeah. So when's the next one going to come? Because it's not a thing. We're just like this island <laughs> and that's not a network. A network is... Number, a number of shows so yeah 
I don't know if I answered your question any better this time around but I mean you know you honestly did because I'm thinking back to you know when I started listening to podcasts and everyone was attached to a network but I'm, I don't think I would have thought oh I'm gonna build a network like, I just thought networks exist somewhere I don't know where they are <laughs> they're in America so the rationale that you thought oh I, we need to attach this to this network or and and rather than go looking for one in the UK you thought well you know we can make the network I think I, I think in a sense you're downplaying it but I think it wasn't also that conscious a decision because you just thought if a, if B is to happen A must exist and you sort of went well we'll just put A together um, <laughs> which I think is honestly fantastic very simplified way of sort of um, breaking that down but it probably speaks to your character now you're you know you you say your background is in you know content marketing actually t- talk to me about that you know starting content marketing what was you know that career trajectory what, what led into that career and how did you find it? oh my gosh that is such a question um so oh okay so my intention in life when I started out thinking about what I was going to do when I grew up marketing was not even in the top 500 of jobs I would land in like I didn't even know that that was a job to put it mildly like what is that I don't know don't care I'm not interested in it so I studied anthropology and my career trajectory as far as I could remember was always to be either in science medicine or medical related like I was on that path I I was gonna do medicine I changed my mind I was like anthropology biological anthropology and I studied monkeys I lived in the Caribbean I was watching my monkeys I was minding my business like I was fully a scientist and on that path going to do a master's in it that was my life and then that changed like just the life circumstances around that just changed like my visa changed and I I guess the work I was doing also I I started to feel differently about it as well and so I came back to the UK with nothing not nothing but I had no, no idea yeah Grant you were back to square one yeah I was like what do I do now and I was applying for all these medical jobs and science jobs and not getting anywhere with it and six months later I was I got hired in a startup to be an account manager and then within six months of being in that job and realizing I'm not like the best account manager I just started taking on more of the marketing activities or the sales and marketing activities so the email marketing and writing blog posts and doing social media stuff and this was like again this is 2014 the idea of digital marketing was still actually new in 2014 I don't think people clock like marketing was yeah the evolution now there's like so many different layers to marketing team yeah exactly you can literally get hired just to do someone's tiktok today like that was not life like what is businesses on social media in 2014 that was still a really new idea this whole new concept so I was at like google startup google campus where you'd have meetings and events and this like tech bubble I was living in in like yeah, the London tech scene, the London startup scene where people are like, oh, how can we growth hack and grow our communities and build things up? And that's what that was the world I come I came up in. Like the idea of being a content marketer wasn't it was a new job title if it had even existed in 2014. Like you were learning that on the job. You were pulling this stuff together and hoping for the best and seeing results and then documenting those results for the wider community to learn from. And that was what I came up in. So I was a self-taught marketer that fell into marketing by accident I still apply almost all of the foundations of that till this day as part of like because a podcast is content ultimately and I think that's what people miss is like when they start a podcast they forget or actually quite quickly learn (laughs) that another part of being and doing a podcast is that you have to promote market it yeah 
like you can't start a blog without promoting it you can't release anything like someone has to know that it exists and I think actually when I when I look at podcasts and how content marketing plays a role in it the reason why I've been able to be in it for so long and not get burnt out or disappointed is because I just I'm a marketer so I know that I have to push this content and I know it has to in order for this thing to be sustainable, for it to grow, for it to be nurtured and loved and for me to not feel resentful, resentment towards it, I have to treat it like a channel. It's a marketing channel. It's how I push content out. Like you have to promote it. So yeah, content marketing has stayed in my life. It's going nowhere. And it's probably the thing that will, if podcasting isn't the next frontier, whatever the next one is, it will still serve me well, I imagine. Content is the future. It definitely will. I So I'm, you know, listening to your story of you know your foundations of marketing and thinking about you know shout out network and melanin millennials that's such an interesting mouthful <laughs> yeah. I, didn't, I was trying to say that the other day I was like what was the question melanin millennials I you have to be so that. intentional yes. but you know you talk about this you know I, I, I I've been through that growth hacking because I you know also marketer growth hacking and these ideas of okay if you have to, you know, build things from foundation. You have to figure out a way to, you know, change audience where their gaze is. You, you just have to be, you know, very, you have to be very scrappy, but very audacious. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, that being audacious is, I link that back to you creating Shout Out Network because you said, well, you know, if, if I think, again, if I think B has to exist, I'm going to make A happen. And that's, I think that's such a weird growth hacking thing also, because what you did was give, you know, the project foundation, you get, you gave the podcast foundation and it, it also then gave you, I guess, two different names to leverage in terms of this is a network. And on this network, there's, it's not just, this is the podcast is this podcast is part of this network. And you're having two, you're having two layered conversations so that that way you're catching people's interest on different, you know, sides. I'm just now getting to a very marketing. I'm so you know what? The link has been made us to why you. I think I, I I've solved that riddle. <laughs> it's the marketeer in you. Um, yeah. I think I'm also very entrepreneurial marketeer, which brings me to Content is Queen, which is you know the company you're running now, which is very layered and is taking, you know, an even more involved approach to how you exist in the marketing space. Because it's not just you know the content or creating the podcasts the podcasting spaces it's the consultation uh, so it's very layered when you know shifting focus and moving into content content is queen what were your initial aspirations for the company and how have they how have they grown as you've you know solidified yourself within this company that is a wonderful question my initial intention when starting content is queen as a company independent of the shadow network so to be clear content is queen was the name of so we whilst at shout out network we ran three festivals one was like the UK's like mo- first like the world's first diverse black mostly like almost 99.9% black <laughs> podcast festival like it we went in on that yeah and then the second iteration of that festival was the UK's women's podcast festival which just did not exist and that had the sub name content is queen so it was called shout out live content is queen or radical women and the sub the tagline was content is queen and that name just stuck so we kept it for the second time we did the women's podcast festival and actually what we found was that we were just building this very lovely warm community around podcasting that hadn't I want to say it didn't really exist at least I hadn't experienced it in my in the three or four years that I was in podcasting at that point I hadn't experienced it yet so my intention when setting off to do the company when I eventually left shout out was like I want to carry this community forward I 
and it wasn't it was women mostly and I always always stand for women and women doing things in the world and championing women in podcasting always particularly black women but I was just like how do I how do I create a community around this like what what is a community what is the culture of UK podcasting and I when I really sat down and thought about it Nikki like there isn't really a UK podcast culture at least not one that I felt like I was a part of so there are like professional groups there are professional bodies and there are production companies and there's like the BBC broadcast set there's very like it's very tiered and it can be very dated and when I think about the podcast culture when I think about the people that attend our festival where are they going for information like they're having to come to this thing I've had to create <laughs> in order for you to access this information and there's some people that like we still didn't even touch and reach all the people that really needed to be in the room and so as a marketer I'm always thinking like who is missing from this room who is missing yeah. who wants this who needs this who will benefit from this and they're not here and how am I going to serve them with this content or with this event or with this thing so when content is queen as a company side out it was very like okay I've left this come I've left shout out what do I do I need I need a home I, I know I need a business I know I need a foundation I need infrastructure but my my intentions was always community first and let's create a culture in which people can know that there's a place that they can come to in the US they have literally pockets all over the place right yeah. like, Facebook groups there's like the she women podcast group and there's like women of color in Washington in podcast like they have like all the yeah cultural you community. also get a sense that you know podcasters have a community you know like they you know they seem they seem like they have friendships and so they have personal as well as you know these I know a professional but cultural networks and mm-hmm. yeah yeah exactly and when you really look at it it's like why are they able to thrive and survive and sustain and it's like the thing is it's very lo- one running a business is lonely as hell I think anyone that's like a solo founder or even if you're not is lonely it's hard it's draining if you treat treat your podcast like it's your business or your baby or your thing it is lonely like it's hard to make it's hard to promote it's hard to find the guests doing doing everything yourself without a sense of like community or a a sense of place it's really hard to maintain the energy and the motivation to go to keep going and to keep moving forward with it and that's what when you run a network you see where people fizzle out you can see where the conflicts start to arise you see everything like we managed about 25 people across the four years shout out was running I saw it all I saw it and so I was like well we I need to create something that basically not only lets people know of the pitfalls but also the benefits like there's tremendous amounts of benefits to doing this work but you need to know that you're part of something bigger and that your work is part of something bigger that there's purpose and there's a drive behind this especially from if you're from an underrepresented group because it is very very challenging to do well in this industry specifically in the UK when your background is not seen or recognized anywhere else in the media so while people will pay lip service to diversity and inclusion the reality is so far from that and I've been very lucky that because I did what I did four or five years ago I managed to get a seat at the table but I still firmly got a table behind me on which I know I'm building a community that can sustain and build up its own and celebrate its own and I know that like yes I'm going to rely on you over here because I, I've, I've been fortunate to get a seat at the table and I'm going to try and pull as many people in as well but my table's back here as well. And I'm going to 
use you to get food on the, the table over here too. Like, thanks for the buffet. The bread rolls are in my pocket. But so that more people, could, when they do land or find themselves at this particular table, they're not feeling completely out of sorts. Like, we would be invited to meetings with Apple and Spotify. And I would be like, I don't I don't know what you're saying to me. Like, I would be there pretending, nodding, like, I don't know what you're saying. Yeah, sure. I, don't wanna, I, don't, I don't think anyone, if I've gone through the process, there's no reason why someone else should end up at a table and not know what to say. Because yeah. I've been there, I know it now. I've done the work. So you don't have to. And that's how I see my work. And that's the intention behind Content is Queen. Wow, that's, I mean, that's amazing that, you know, and it's the linking of the past to the present is saying, you know, we shouldn't leave people who are part of the foundation behind bringing them into, you know, new discoveries and saying, okay, here is then how you can execute. Because um, I think a big thing is, you know, people have passion, but if you don't have the resources, the understanding, if you don't have the support, and I think what you said, that idea of, you know, community support to continue a product, it's very hard. And if we think about podcasts, podcasting is you know being a founder this is your business this is you know it's essentially you trying to brand yourself in some ways if you think about it in that way and you think oh yeah actually founding things can be really lonely because one you know you have to get people to buy into your vision and for a long time it's just going to be you and your vision staring each other in the face and saying oh wow okay I guess we have to believe in each other enough yep. so that it brings the first person and the second and the third and that's a really hard thing I think people don't think about because what we often see you know is a success is Mm-hmm. You know, I know what I like. I like a crime podcast. If I want to go to one, I'll go to, you know, this network. But, but it's what's the individual journey, the people, you know, the, you know, the individual people, but also like, how did that network come together to say that we can then give you this content at this rate, at this, this level of expertise, as, you know, it's, again, I think every, you know, everything we do in life and that content, you know, personal has all of these thought processes but I think we don't give enough what's enough commendations to podcasting and you know the layers of work it works work it takes because boy mm-hmm. sometimes I'm like I'm doing research and I go oh my god <laughs> this is just me and you also and beyond that you're hoping you know like everything you've prepared and before you have the you're like I'm hoping this works or the chemistry is right because you can do all of that work and oh, then yes. you get you get to the recording you're like oh no this is this is not working this is yeah. <laughs> And this can be beyond, you know, an interview style like this. It can be, this is a solo thing. I'm going to be the only person on the mic. Like I think about Dissect and I think he had to have been so, I wonder how many, how many tries it took to get the formula right. Yeah. Well, sitting down to think I'm going to do this. I'm going to involve them. Like thinking, I'm being so bold and saying, I believe so much in this idea and I think it's going to work. And seeing how much it's grown over like five seasons. I'm like, that, that's actually beautiful. Honestly, I. <laughs> Yeah. So I, said, I think it's one of the most brilliant things I've ever listened to in my life. Um, I always say that to a day because, yeah, it just is honestly fantastic. We've talked about sort of, you know, the cultural foundation of Content is Queen. I want to talk about, you know, the production or the physical elements. And the physical is podcasting studios. It's yes. physical in terms of location. Now, you know, shout out network. Did you, you weren't building, you know, studios in the same way, were you? No. Um Studios have always been in my wider vision. So I think what people don't seem to understand or seem to know about either me or our general, my general history or my, yeah, the background of Shout Out is that our intention when we set out was that within our resources, we were going to produce the most professional podcasts that we could because we knew that whatever we were making didn't have to compete with each other. We weren't competing with other Black podcasters we weren't competing with african-american podcasts either to be honest 
our competition was like the BBC. Like we need to chart. We need in order for this to be successful, to be seen and viewed as successful, we need to be on the charts. We need to be on Apple. We need to be where they're at because that's how people find content. That's how like we were trying to change an industry. We're trying to change perception. And so I don't think people really give that much thought. Like, no, no, we're like our intentions were like so above and beyond that they're thinking we're fighting for scraps at the t- like at the bottom. Like, not to say that that's what it is, but sometimes I think people think, oh, there's competition here. It's not like I am trying to change the media. I want people to go. I want to go into an, a job interview and be seen differently. Yeah. The world is telling you to see me, and so that's what our stories are doing. That's what our voices are doing. That's what we're. we're I'm coming as as unapologetically me as I can. In order for me to do that, I know that the content has to sound a certain way to be received at that level. And some may say that that's pandering to and that you don't have to, it's not required. But the reality is I felt like we did. And that's the decision that I made as a business owner and that my co-founder made as a business owner. Like he was very adamant that like, we are going to record in a studio. We're going to find a way to make that happen. And luckily where we lived at the time, there was a guy who ran his like own independent studio, like a music studio at the bottom of the street. And he gave us preferential rates. Like it was still expensive and we were out of pocket spending money on studio time. And when he learned enough, we went out of pocket and bought equipment and we started soundproofing the flat and built a studio within our flat. People like Jamelia came to our house. Like we really went in on the fact that like, actually what you're not going to do is say our audio quality is not up to par. Yeah. That that way we knew we can compete. The content also had to be good too. So we didn't just accept any pitch. We looked at what's coming in, uh, what's coming in through our doors. What's different? What's new? What's going to change perception? Mostly literally changed literature podcasts. Like the old white men on podcasts. Mostly lit came and just like blew that out of the water. Like no way. People, the publishers literally were just like, (gasps) black people read. (laughs) Like, Like this is, that was always our objective. Like, yeah, it was always to change perception. So very early on with what we were doing, studios and equipment and making sure that the audio side of our audio business was on, on point has always been there. And like the dream was to build studios. And that just never happened. Like getting physical space as black people in London is hot. Like we can, can we rent? <laughs> like Can we live? So let alone to them find commercial space that has enabled us to do that is really tough. So last year with Content is Queen, I always knew that I wanted to get the community side running and I wanted a podcast studio just so that I could have like basically live out this vision in reality Um, I was really lucky that the pandemic in many ways the pandemic hit was on the way to hitting and the Peckham Palms which is where our first studio is based in Peckham Right. Uh, the Peck and Palms had a unit available and they're traditionally a health and beauty space for black women. They want to support black women entrepreneurs. And they said, we have a unit and they actually offered me this very tiny box. <laughs> and I was like, I will take it and figure out the money Make later. <laughs> and I was like, but in reality, I know that this bigger unit would be much better. And in the end, I whilst that was coming into fruition, like, OK, how am I going to build a studio in this very empty shell of a room? Like, I don't know. I'm going to I'm going to figure this out. I was like searching Gumtree. I was on eBay. Like, can I get a vocal booth? I'm going to take out a virgin business loan. Like, I'm going to figure out a way to make this happen. And actually, I found on Gumtree, this guy was selling a silver or gold. I think it was a gold vocal booth, like a proper that was from an old music college that basically shut down. I don't know if it was shut down because of the pandemic or before. I don't know. But they shut down and basically gave away this booth and he couldn't 
have it anymore. So he was just like, it was in Scotland. I literally was like, I'm taking this. I was lucky. I've been privileged that my boyfriend had capital to pay that for me. And I paid him back. Like I did not have, like people need to understand, I think that privilege exists within me too like I had people that could give me the money to do this I'm degrees away from people at the Peckham Palms which meant that I was able to find out about the opportunity about the unit and so that's how the first studio came about and then shortly after like a few weeks later the team at Makerversity which is where in Somerset House they said that the people that used to be in this studio that I'm in right now they're leaving this is like they've been here for like four or five years as far as I know and they're leaving do you want this space and I was like don't know to, it was like money like, I don't know <laughs> I, I yes because it's Somerset House and Somerset House represents art it is an institution like yeah. the residents community is like insanely talented like your connect the degrees of proximity that you have to people uh, in building is wild and we're literally like minutes away from Waterloo the strand is we're on the strand like what does that say to people what does it mean for me to be here. So I took it. I was like, I'm going to figure this out. I don't know what's going to happen. We're in the middle of a pandemic. I can't open anything. And then just as I agreed the deal or in the process of agreeing the deal with Somerset House, Audible called and said, we heard you're building studios and would you like our support? Would you, do you need some funding for this? And I was like, what life? Yes, <laughs> what yes. Um, thank like, you. <laughs> yes, thank you. Anything you can do is welcomed. And so I like, I don't know what to tell you. Like I've been privileged because I was doing a show with Audible already. So just because I was doing that show, they knew that I was in the process of doing these things. And that word got round that they were able to then say, hey, we've been following your career from shout out days. Like we know that you've always been trying to do this. Um, and I hear that you're getting closer to that. And I guess I was putting out like a newsletter at the time to say, hey, I'm getting a studio and I'm leaving this company. Like, hey, this is what's going on. And they were like, hey, would you like some help? And they've been our partner for this year. They've rode with us throughout this pandemic, which has meant that like we've had very stilted growth. Studios have closed, open, closed, open, stayed open, but been reasonably empty. And yeah, it's it's nice because what I have seen with having the physical space of the people that have used it, I used to listen to content that some of them have made and the difference that you hear is just like, it's night and day. Like it immediately makes a difference. It yeah. immediately in a different place as a listener to know that someone just sounds the part. Because if they sound the part, it, you can almost like, you're just like, oh, okay. You you're switch fine. off and you're not the yes. Because I've had this where I think there's a podcast I listen to and it's based in Nigeria called Class Prefects. And at the start, you could tell, you know, they were doing this, you know, this is a passion project and they're recording it from you know, wh whatever resource they had. And then they got picked up by a network and just the difference. And also my experience as a listener, I was like, oh, yes, I, I'm not thinking, oh, I, I didn't quite catch that. Or you know, like th those little things that take you out of the surrounding yourself in this audio world where you can just, you know, those little things. It's not a little thing. It's important because it, it impacts your the consumer experience. But I think also for, you know, the creator of this podcast, when you listen to the transition, the way your work is, you know, is able to be actualized in a different way at a different level. I think that's part of, you know, what keeps people going, seeing the growth and growth can just mm -hmm. be like in sound and sound again, audio sound is such a powerful thing. The clarity in your voice, your ability to communicate clearly. And it's like you said, there are small things that whilst I think not everyone needs a studio, not everyone needs to make the leap or do the jump. Definitely not. I'm not saying don't enter because you you need you feel like you need that. 
but there is something about growing into your podcast and growing into your content and for the listener they want to go on that journey too and like like you said you don't want to be snapped out because someone like smashed a plate or walked into the room or you know a baby started crying a dog started barking yes those things happen it's a pandemic so definitely these things are happening anyway but it's it's always nice to feel like you have got that person's attention and nothing is going to disrupt that and you're literally just like you said cocooned in the experience I think it's very very important it's very valuable and it's why it's all it's the one thing I've carried over consistently like I have never not recorded either with very very high-end equipment when I couldn't record in the studio or I've recorded in the studio where I humanly can like I don't play games with my audio quality it's the one thing that I think is part of my brand it's the one thing I think is very important and I, I maintain it as this this is the thing I will consistently do is make sure that we're always gonna be at that level where you're coming here and your content your content is going to be able to compete with the big dogs and people are going to take you seriously because you're recording it properly not to say that this is the only way to record because it's not but you know what I, mean. I was gonna say me yeah in my makeshift studio at home but you you've know again I mean you've got a microphone you've got a setup and it's not to take away from people that don't have that you don't need it but I, again I think, it's start where you're from and then you grow into yeah that's yeah. definitely important. Um, okay, so, you know, Content is Queen has, you know, we're in this pan- pandemic space. And again, I mean, it, which means the business has had to adapt and change and pause and wait. I think there's a lot of waiting before, you know, when things can be fully realised. Looking forward to, you know, this idea of June 21st, this magical date that Boris has dangled before our eyes. What are your hopes for, you know, what are your hopes for how the community is currently reacting, you know, within the online space to, you know, the physical space what are your hopes for how that, that transition happens oh honestly I, I actually think my my main hope is that people don't feel overwhelmed by the process of entering podcasts that's that's my biggest hope is like I I want people to feel free and able to create whatever they want to create I recognize that I can be quite an intense leader in how I view the world I've been in this such a long time like I just know how things work and I can just do it really quickly and I can say things really quickly but I I also know that the people I'm serving are in a very very different place from where I'm at right now and so I think my hope is that yes you're going to come out of this whatever this treacherous phase has been in our lives but don't feel overwhelmed or like you have to change who you are or your show because you want to be a part of this community or because you want to, you know, elevate or upgrade in some way, whether that's audio, whether that's your artwork, whether that's your brand and whatever it is, like take your time with it. Like there is no deadline. There is no rush. Nothing is going to dramatically change on June 21st beyond the fact that we can just leave our houses for free um, and without like being punished. So I think just, yeah, my hope for the community is just stay calm be cool create what you're creating do it in the way that you've been doing it don't feel pressured or like you need to you know now churn out the best quality ever or you need to just create 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 like you don't you can just take it easy and just like soak in learning like just enjoy the process of learning about this new space that you're entering into and you know take in these new ideas and because half the stuff like sound design, I didn't know anything about sound design until I spoke to Axel Kakutier. Like he did a masterclass for us and I literally sat there and watched it. And I was like, if I knew, I how, to, <laughs> I knew how to edit, this is, this is a wow. Like this, like just, but the, the ideas and the concepts that came from that, I was just like, I didn't know 
any of this. I would never have considered that. And I've been here for five years and I know things, I know what sounds good, but I didn't know the mechanics of how things sound good. Um, So just enjoy learning and don't feel like you have to do all of the things all of the time because you're encountering all of the things all at, at once. But just don't be overwhelmed. Like there's loads of time and if you're part of the community like we're together for like a whole year at least if you want to stay with like I mean the membership is for a year for example like the baseline like and take your time with it like we will go on the journey together month to month you will see growth you will see development and what that looks like for you will be different from someone else but it's you don't need to be overwhelmed and feel like you have to do all of the stuff amazing I think you know in terms of this part of the podcast we're gonna stop here because I think that's just been so nice as a roundup and we're just going to move into the what's hot in industry section, uh, which is where, you know, I do research, I hope makes sense to the actual um, <laughs> experts in the industry. And I ask them questions I think make sense. And, you know, podcasting, it was talked about things, you know, like growth and how people are responding to it, you know, five years on, six years on. And we've also, I guess, spoken a little bit about, you know, gender and podcasting. So the transition from, you know, the singular festival to the women, you know, the females or the female majority space and, you know, festivals that you created because of an understanding of the need for women to have a space in which they could discuss podcasting. But when I was researching, uh, stats still showed me how, you know, I don't know who put these stats together. And I wonder if this is true for how you're seeing response across the industry that at the moment, men make up 63% of podcast listeners. So why do we think that podcasts are capturing the male attention over female over the female still? Is it, you know, due to content being mostly helmed by male hosts? Or is it, you know, in terms of, yeah, what would I don't know, because I'm just thinking, do we have do we still have majority male voices? And is that what men are gravitating towards? Or is it something else? It's both. It's that and it's something else, I think. To kind of address it head on, men are still the majority of podcast hosts. It is changing, but for the most part, they still are like the leads of most the major shows, the shows that chart consistently in the top 100. A lot of those are male voices. And that's fine. They can exist. Why not? Uh, I mean, no one's stopping them, clearly. So there's there's that side of things like men lead these shows and men like listening to men's voices I actually was in a clubhouse about women in podcasting and funnily enough like as a question I threw back to like the men who were hosting the women in podcasting room on clubhouse I asked the question you know of the podcasts that you men are subscribed to how many are women hosted and they went through and they said none like that was the answer they don't listen to women's podcasts so (laughs) I, I say this because whilst it doesn't quite tackle like why why do the majority of listeners happen to be men like men will gravitate towards men's content and maybe there's like something in the subject matter that we aren't quite seeing but or the delivery yeah yeah women tend to gravitate towards if I look at my podcast list it's actually quite mixed but for the most part I like women's stories or women's issues and actually unfortunately and I will say I don't necessarily think it is unfortunate I think it's just uh, the nature of how content evolves over time but when you are an underrepresented group you tend to also create content in your image you fill a gap like that seems to be the default and I we just did our micro grants applications and I I'm seeing this trend where almost I would say at the moment we're about 50% of the way through with reviewing over 60 plus percent at this moment in time, I would say, are trying to fill a gap by sharing their perspective from 
an identity perspective. Mm -hmm. So they occupy a certain group or gender or a race and they want to put their opinion out there based on that. And I think that's what that's what's happening in women's podcasting or what has happened. And it's evolving now because women have been entering for a few years now. So we're seeing diversity in the types of content that's coming out, which means that by extension, more men may listen because women are doing true crime and they are doing sports and they are doing comedy and they are doing all of these other genres, which has been happening for a while. But the reality is we still create content with other women in mind, which means that actually it's just not really for men. Like it's not that it's not for them. They could definitely learn some things by listening to women, but we, you create. The approach to, yeah, the approach to creating it is so um, specific that Mm. yeah, we're not thinking we're, think, we're thinking audience specific to, maybe too quickly I don't know if that which is not a bad thing um, you should create thing. yeah you should create with audience in mind but you know it's very niche sometimes yeah I think it's fine to create for your audience I, oh, I yeah. definitely have audience before I think before I create anything unless I just yeah. really like the idea but I definitely think that there is something to women feeling like they need to fill a gap which is like there are not enough women speaking about x whether that be beauty or menopause or uh hair or you know clothing whatever that may be I feel like I've picked very gender topics but whatever Um, (laughs) but you know like they feel like those things don't have they need to fill a gap or they need to fill a niche and that's from every group or marginalized group or background like we all feel like we are our voices are missing and so we want to implant our voice and our flag on this topic or this subject area which means that you know by extension we just attract people that happen to look like us and I think that's okay for now but it definitely should evolve and change as we yeah I mean I think thinking about I think about you know the gold diggers podcast which is women talking about football or sports in general and which is you know this is women owning a space that they have within sports because you know one we know that it's not just men that play football but also that the audience and the fans don't solely make up you know one gender but it's been very interesting to look at sort of their comment section and this questioning of their validity in this space so you know how what why should your opinion be trusted and so I think we still have societal layers of unpacking where it's where it feels comfortable and sustainable for you know people to expand their voice because I think it's when you do branch out and you're questioned and questioned often and repeatedly that can be very draining so it's a balance of you know wanting to fill gaps but also saying if I do this am I ready to you know deal with the conversations that this are going these are going to raise and it's a very valid question to say actually maybe I just don't want to have to you know be the same I, I also don't want to have to validate my existence in this space over and over and over again because I know my worth in this space you you know I don't need to have a conversation about this so I think yeah there's that you know your answer is very right and I think this conversation is going to be very it's very laid in terms of not just the industry of podcasting but society and what we expect from people and what we give room for people to put out and produce without you know being questioned I going from that and I I think we've sort of answered the second stat I pulled up but it says you know the percentage of creative of active podcasts rather has dropped from 59% in December to 37% by March 2021 oh wow and you know we've talked about this idea of you know creating you know being the solo journey talks about things like studio space um, and now we talk about also we've talked about you know being able to not have to validate yourself in a space and I think these might be some factors as to why this has happened, you know, and also creating in a pandemic has been very hard for a lot of people. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> because showing up and being a voice and not not reflecting your emotional state in your voice is very hard. 
Yeah. It's I'm not surprised that that's dropped off. Yeah. I actually think it's just a hazard of the ease at which you can enter. So Mm. yeah it's just a consequence of that like anchor means that literally anyone can pick up and record a podcast and that's instantly published and so I think actually when I I heard a similar stat uh, it probably wasn't as relevant to March 2021 but the idea that there's loads of like one episode or inactive podcasts is like massively ramped up I think anchor has a lot to answer for for that because it they've made it so easy the barrier to entry is like at the floor that loads of people just creating something just to see just to test the water and abandoning it which generally messes with the the whole statistic I think that's also kind of a beautiful thing in that you people are trying it they're coming to it and they're trying it maybe they don't like it maybe they're not ready but they're trying it and I think that's important for the industry because we need more people to know the word we need more people to understand how it works or how it functions there's still so much mystery and jargon around podcasting like what is an RSS feed what is a host versus a podcast host which is the person that speaks on the microphone and the person and the thing that basically means your podcast exists in the world like these are two different things and people still are getting very lost and ask I've been doing this for five years. I still get asked the exact same questions five years down the line. Like people are still like, what host should I use? I'm like, they do all the same. They do the same thing. <laughs> like it doesn't matter. Pick one. But, you know, like we we need more people to enter it. But the thing that makes it successful, what will make you as, as a potential podcaster successful is your ability to stay the course. And I don't think it's possible to do that without some sort of support system infrastructure cheerleader whether that's your audience itself like you need something to keep it going if only seven people kept showing up and you knew all of those seven people intimately that's the that's the drive that you need to keep going but if you feel like you're doing it and you're like I want 10,000 and only seven people are are, are here either something's got to change in your content you've got to change as a host or you've got to change what you're doing and I think that's what's happened there's like there's so many layers to getting to where you want to go in podcasting and there's so many things that are considered successful you just need to have a very honest conversation with yourself about like is this something I want to continue especially if you started in the pandemic because it was just something fun to do cool like I'm glad you tried that out um maybe you'll go back to listening instead and prefer that I feel like you just you know answered my last question which is how we close out the show and we always touch around expectations I'm gonna ask it again because I feel like every time I think you've answered a question you give me another layer <laughs> and you come, to it, you come to it from a different perspective and I think again that's down to your experience within the industry so my question for you is for anyone looking to come into the podcasting space what's an important expectation for them to have I think it's the expectation that you should set for yourself is that this is not a quick win industry it is incredibly long to make a successful podcast and I say long but I remember my my brand manager pulled me up and then she's like use the word challenging instead so fine it is incredibly challenging to make a quote unquote successful podcast and what successful podcast means will vary from person to person so you need to have a very clear goal statement something that we've we've talked about we've talked about on our website like have a goal statement what is it that you are trying to do set an intention have a goal in mind because how you then go about achieving that will set the tone and the pace for where you go within podcasting but it is not a quick win industry this is not like YouTube where you can post a video and then miraculously hit 10k just because it got picked up somehow like it doesn't really work like that and I think a lot of people see very successful podcasters blow 
and it's either years and years in the making or it's down to some like really intensive marketing work that goes on like I literally do this for a job like I get paid a decent amount of money to market podcasts for brands who already have thousands of followers and they still are like climbing yeah I think it's a case of like manage your expectations if you're thinking you're going to like launch a podcast and then thousands of people are going to be there I'm sorry to say that that's very, very rarely the case unless you already have a pretty established audience. And I would say also with your expectations, like don't think of it as a business or a product, like as a product, think of it as a marketing channel. So what is the bigger thing that you're trying to say? What is the bigger thing that you're trying to put into the world, whether that is something that you're physically selling or or trying to, you know, whether you've got a book, I don't know, like if you've got something else or you've just got a message that you feel you need to share, it's a channel first and foremost it is just like a it's a video it's like a blog it's like anything else you are pushing something out there so treat it that way and give it the promotion that it deserves and needs in order to reach the audience that you want it to reach because if you think you can just release content and do nothing else you are gonna set yourself up for failure and disappointment in the long run I wish I could have ended on a higher note than that Nikki (laughs) give me another question (laughs) We are hitting, we're hitting this with the hard, not the, well, you know, the real, real basis call it the real, real, not the hard tree. Hard tree sounds hard. <laughs> but I think, you know, that answer is consistent to what this conversation has been. It's the reality and it's understanding, you know, podcasting as, yes, yeah, something that you can fall into, but in order to grow in, you have to invest in. And I think, you know, those two different things, the barrier to entry is, you know, it's low. But the sustain, like if you want to be, if you want to sustain yourself in it, you just have to keep going on. Thank you so much, Emerald. This has been such a great conversation. I'm so glad. Like this has been like a catch up for me also to understand what's going on business side. But it's just been fantastic to speak with you today. Thank you so much. You too. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And then final question. So where would you, if people want to find you on socials, where can they find you? Just give us some at at content is queen HQ on Instagram. And yeah, the website's full of stuff. So contentisqueen.org. We've got everything there. Awesome, guys. So like, follow and um, look out for those podcasting studios because you can have, you know, year long memberships and you can really get, you know, intense understanding of the industry and really think about how you want to make your mark in the industry or just how you want to have fun in the industry through this channel. I'm so excited. I can't wait to come see the studios also when outside opens up and I venture into London. So I'm just looking forward to doing a proper in-person catch up soon. Thank you so much, Emerald. Thank you. Looking forward to catching up. All right. Goodbye, everyone.